Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Schönen guten Morgen, Schwerin. Es ist 6.30 Uhr. Die Schliemannstraße heute bis Werdestraße zwischen Grüne Straße und Graf Schlackallee wegen einer Sportveranstaltung ist geschlossen. Beide Fahrtrichtungen sind gesperrt. Ortskundige Autofahrer werden gebeten, das Gebiet weiträumig zu umfahren heute, äh, und zwar von 6 Uhr bis Mitternacht. Es ist, wie gesagt, 6.30 Uhr. Hier ist Foreigner und I want to know what love is. Good morning, Ned. Hello, hello, hello. Where are you? Well, I'm in the Schwerin. I'm in Schwerin in Mecklenburg-Vorpommern. Could you put uh, that on a map, do you think? Uh, no, um, that's like asking me where Burgos is. Oh, no, I know it's where a Burgos, bit Burgos is. It's isn't it? No, yeah, I have no idea where you are. Is. That's a very good description because Burgos is kind of in the north, isn't it, of yeah. Spain? Yeah, it is. Uh, a little bit and off the beaten track. And uh, what's going on there? Mecklen um, well, at some point in the very near future, a bunch of bike riders are going to arrive, including, you know, John Degenkolb and Mark Cavendish, Andre Greipel, uh, Alexander Christoph, Remy Cavagna, um, uh, people like that, you know. Oh, um, very because good. it's stage one of the Deutschland, the much anticipated Deutschland tour. Actually, I say much anticipated, David. It's probably kind of it's the, maybe, um, the truth, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I'd say it's probably. Uh, relatively unexpected. <laughs> but, it's I a mean, real mystery, isn't it? That the, the Deutschland tour is such a. Well, I didn't. I mean, um, you, you just. Overlooked. I was. Race. I was surprised when you told me that um, ASO now own it. Have they? Did they own it before, or have they given brought the right. Renaissance? Stand by, Renaissance man, for a potted history of the Deutschland tour, David. Oh, good times. It was first race in nineteen nineteen eleven. And was won by Hans Ludwig. That was um, uh, a long time ago. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then there was an 11-year hiatus before it was raced again. It was raced in 1922 and then not again for five years. It reappeared in 1927 and then randomly in 1930 and 31 again. And then the Nazi government of Germany raced three editions in 1937, 1938 and 1937 And then was and then the big block of um, consistent uh, tour of Germany or Deutschland tour, it's changed its name occasionally, was from 1999 to 2008. Then it went away again for another 10 years, only to reappear re uh, three years ago in 2018. Then it raced for two editions before coronavirus, 
coronavirus got the better of it and it obviously had to pause last year. So in its current sort of format, it's actually, this will be the third edition. <laughs> See, that's a surprise to me. I didn't even know about the last two editions. Yeah, no, I do. I vaguely remember because 2018, I think it was the first race that Geraint Thomas did um, post his victory in the Tour de France. Oh, uh, that's right. And it kind of caught my attention for that reason. I bet that's um, when ASO bought it. That is, so uh, this is the third ASO edition of the race. So yeah. am I right in saying so this is the 33rd edition then? I think it is. 33rd yeah, edition. I think it is. Uh, that's pretty. I think there have been 32 previous editions, but going right back to 1911. Oh, wow, well, look at that. That's pretty amazing. When you, uh, let's just look at on Wikipedia. It's actually got the, um, the Nazi flag for those three years, 37, 38, 39. Huh. Yeah, indeed. Wow. Yeah, as I say, more about that tomorrow. Um, I tell you what, there is something just telling about that is the fact what? that the Tour of Germany is very much a race that it goes on popular opinion because it was when Dietrich Turo was, was they had it. That's when it came in four editions. When it came in 1999, that was off the back of Jan Ulrich's success. So it goes, exactly. So cycling very much in Germany is a little bit like the UK where it has these waves of popularity. But the yeah. fact that it has this sporadic, I mean, it's really sporadic. That's quite mad. Well, it's good that it's back Yeah, though. but uh, it is kind of a, quite a unique story, that. But I think you're absolutely spot on about Germany's um, slightly flaky relationship with, with um, road racing. Mm. But, um, but if you drill down into that a little bit deeper, um, it's actually, it expresses itself completely differently in, um, in East Germany and West Germany, mm. as was. You know, I mean, they've been reunified now for 30 oh, years. Of course, because you had the legendary peace race, which was like you had the, the race. We had the peace race. So, 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 so we are now, I'm, I'm in Schwerin, I'm in Mecklenburg-Vorpommern, I'm in East Germany. You know, this okay. was the, the former East Germany. And for the first three stages of the four stages of, of the Deutschland Tour, we stay in East Germany. Um, and actually, we're tracing the routes. We kind of roughly go down where the border used to be um, from north to south. Um, before eventually ending up in former West Germany, but we we go through that we go through the heartland of East German, the East German cycling story, which is um, unique and completely different to the West German one. And in the former East Germany, you'll find that that um, I mean the peace race was an East German race. Okay, so you know it used to take in their neighbouring um, aligned to the Soviet Union Eastern Bloc states. So it used to visit. Uh, Czechoslovakia as was. It used to sometimes go to Hungary and it always used to go to Poland as well, but it was an East German race. Um, but the, you know, the communist, the communist state, uh, post-war in, in Germany, it, it didn't get much right. It got <laughs> masses of things wrong. But one thing that you can kind of credit it for, I think, is its relationship with the bicycle. Because for, for all sorts of kind of quite complicated and intersectional and overlapping reasons, it really invested with its population in, in bicycles. Mm. So, um, you know, for, for, for all good sort of economic reasons, etc., it, it knew that it couldn't necessarily motorize its, its population to quite the extent that the West was doing in the 1950s, etc. So it, it kind of heavily lent on the bicycle. The bicycle became quite a kind of symbol of the East German state and equality and um, commun the communist ideal of the worker um, going about his trade on a simple, humble bicycle. Hmm. You know, it became almost a point of pride and a point of difference. And kids in East Germany were encouraged to cycle from a very early age. And I think I'm right in saying that you actually, in a, in a state 
in which you, you, the very few luxuries or gifts were accorded to you ever. Um, I think I'm right in saying that kids were basically given bicycles by the state at the age of 10. Wow. And it kind of stuck and it worked. And on the international stage, they identified very quickly that, that road racing was something that they could, um, they could punch above their weight in. And they duly did. And they produced some, some great riders. And if you look at the, you know, the, 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 men, the male German peloton ever since, right up till today, you will see that most of, even the youngest riders today, and there are many young riders in this race, will often trace their lineage and their ancestry back through the former East Germany. And certainly, David, your generation of racers against whom, whom you raced, who are still in this peloton, by the way, John Degenkolb, Andre Greipel, they're all, they're all former East German um, mm. uh, guys. They were born in East Germany. Tony Martin, Tony Martin. East German, you yeah. know, et cetera, et cetera. That's, and Marcel Kittel, who I'm hoping to bump into in a couple of days when we go and stay in his hometown of Arnstadt. Yeah, it's pretty basic. I'm just looking at um, the peace race on Wikipedia. It started in 1948 and has gone straight through all the way to 2006, although it turned into a much more amateur. I mean, it was always an amateur race, wasn't it? Although it was because of the Eastern Europeans, the the Soviet uh, Union and East Germany couldn't actually compete, obviously, in the West. So they create outside of the games, Olympic games. Yep. So they, yep. they turned it. So it was effectively a pro race. And it's, it's pretty cool because it's Warsaw, Berlin, Prague. Those are all the three cities that it pivoted around. Yeah, exactly right. So just kind of, yeah. So yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I remember in the nineties, it still had the, the traces of being this legendary race because, I mean, the quality of the field at times could match kind of the best bike races in the world, but they would never get to race the best bike races in the world because they couldn't, they weren't allowed to. So it's, um, yeah, so it's a weird and parallel history, which I, I didn't kind of associate with the, the, uh, the kind of the, the bicycle being that sort of political yeah. weapon. And it markedly different from in the West where it was, it was very much ignored by um, mm. the former West Germany. You know, they, they really didn't produce many bike races of note at all. <laughs> and what's, what's strange is how you know, it's been a long time since reunification, how that, that, that has continued actually. Mm. Yeah. So what's this year's race like? Uh, it's sprinty. <laughs> ah. um, today, today's going to be a belter. I mean, uh, there's, there's, there's uh, 30 kilometer an hour winds coming straight off the Baltic. And Ooh. it goes, it starts on the Baltic coast near the island of Rüden on Stralsund and goes inland and southeast. And it will be going straight into strong cross tail winds towards the finale today. Oh. So I think, I think if teams, well, we spoke about this the other day, didn't we? You know, are teams actually willing any longer to take it up and try and do any damage? Well, I don't know. De Koenig Quickstep have got a very powerful team here that could do just that if they want to. Um, so too could UAE team Emirates and actually Chris Froome's team, um, Israel Startup Nation. I think they've got a team with Alex Dowsett and Reto Hollenstein and Rick Zabel. Etc. They could do. They could do that and try and rip it up a bit. So I'm. I'm expecting it to be quite lively today. Today's a fairly, if it, it, a fairly sort of straightforward, otherwise flat stage. But then incrementally, and this is what I quite like about this race. Why I'm looking forward to these four days of racing. Actually, each stage seems to get a little bit more complicated, even though they're all you know relatively flat stages. ASO, the, the race directors have introduced little climbs towards the finish of all the following stages. Um, and then not only that, but once you get over these little climbs, literally sometimes within about five kilometers of the finish line, they've put a bonification sprint, Ooh. a time bonus sprint, sometimes 5k from the finish huh. on, on a little circuit, which I think will be quite interesting because this race will be won 
by someone a bit like Eve Lampart or Niels Pollitt or someone like that, huh. or even Remy Cavagna, you know, yeah. um, uh, overall. And so, or even one of the sprinters, or even taking it on for the first time in his career, he's never raced it before, John Degenkolb, who's actually riding not for Lotto Sudal, but for the, um, the German national team. Um, and so I'm kind of intrigued because it, 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 it's going to, the whole race is about the balance between the, the, the pure sprinters, if you like, the Mark Cavendishes of the world, um, and he's here, obviously. And those s- fast finishing riders with a bit more range to them, like mm. Pollitt and Lampart and maybe Degenkolb as well. And how that balance is all going to play out remains to be seen. But I think it's quite, it's actually quite intriguing in that regard. It is. And it's, uh, that's very ASO because obviously they've got their portfolio of races. They're probably trying to find a new identity for the Deutschland Tour. And, it's- and, and let's face it, you know, with the exception of Emmanuel Buchmann, who's here, interestingly, mm. um, Germany produces sprinters, really, right? Yeah, it does. Pascal, Pascal Ackermann is here. Um, you know, as I said, the, the, Greipel is still sort of plying his trade and he's here. So I think with a nod to the strength of the German peloton, you know, their consistent production line of, of sprinters, I think that's, that's why the race looks like that. Hey, David, can I tell you a little bit about the House of Mecklenburg? Because I would love to hear about it. Yesterday, I arrived in Schwerin. Um, look it up on a map. It's actually that Schwerin is the capital of the Bundesland of Mecklenburg-Vorpommern, about which I didn't know a great deal. I mean, I, when I lived out in Germany, I visited occasionally this this part of the world up by the Baltic. Um, but I found out a little bit yesterday because I I I um I went for a run, which was nice for the first time since I did my back in playing wall ball back at the Tour de France, mm. and then I I hired a a hotel bicycle, oh. you know, like a really clunky, you mm-hmm. know, those kind of bikes you get. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, one of those weird German bikes with brakes that when you pedal backwards or stop oh, pedaling. Nice, old school. Yeah, but what's that all about? I don't know. I don't know why. I didn't even know. Have you ever them. ridden a bike like that? Yeah, well, when we were kids, you used to get them, you used to use big skids yeah. with them. But I don't, but I didn't. I've only ever encountered them in Germany. It's and true. I don't really see the, well, for, for a start, unsur- unsurprisingly, I don't know how they work. Yeah, I, I, I mean, What's going on there? You just like it breaks when you was it a locked anyway. freewheel or something? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. And secondly, because I'm not used to riding them, I just they almost I almost crash every single time. I just mm. because so, yeah, so exactly. a track bike like for the first time. It's exactly like that. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit dangerous. But anyway, I trundled off. I trundled off on this bike and uh, went for a little tour all of my own around Schwerin. And I think I sent you a picture on Twitter of the castle. <gasps> The castle of Schwerin. I haven't looked at Twitter. I'm going to look now. I haven't looked at Twitter since yesterday. Oh, well, don't worry. I'll tell you, it's a big 19th century castle right in the middle of Schwerin, which is now seat of the the, the local government here because Germany is very decentralized. So each Bundesland has has a a lot of power, right? A lot of autonomy. So the the old 19th century castle of the House of Mecklenburg-Vorpommern, right in the middle of, well, I say right in the middle of Schwerin, but it sits on this little island in the middle of a lake. And Schwerin is built around a lake. And um, I don't know anything about the house of Mecklenburg-Vorpommern, but I found out a little bit yesterday, David, that they were um, originally, they were a Slavic, um, that, that was a Slavic aristocracy. And they first settled on that little island in the middle of the lake in um, 950 AD. Oh, wow, well, look con- at it. Converted to... Um, 
they converted to Christianity under pressure from the, the, the sort of neighboring Saxon people. Uh, a certain Prince Pribislav, uh, a Polabian Slav, um, actually convert, he was the first of the family to convert to, to Christianity. And then there was their great hero, um, Niklots of the Obert- of the, of the Obertreats, who in the 12th century held out against the Saxon invaders for 30 years on that island in the middle of the, uh, in the middle of the lake. Subsequently, it fell to the Saxons who took it over and uh, they then built successive kind of castles on this lake. The final one of which was basically built in the 19th century. And um, well, you're looking at it now, it's just incredible, isn't it? Yeah. It is magnificent. I've never seen Absolutely. it before. It's like something out of a movie where they create it out of CGI and kind yeah, of, it, it doesn't look like real. That. Yeah, I reckon it's, uh, look it up, people. It's S-C-H-W-E-R-I-N. It's that sounds stunning. like an email address. Almost. Yeah, almost so clear. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. There you so go. There you go. But and, so, and, um, Germany's got a lot of the, beautiful places like that, though, hasn't it? It's got, it's got loads of, Honestly, loads of just, I, it kind of like overwhelms me slightly because I think about, you know, obviously from the UK, if we had a castle like that in the UK, which we do, to be fair. I mean, we do. We've got Windsor Castle. We've got bits, yeah. Windsor Castle is like, one so, of our national monuments. And it's like a fort. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and totally different. You're right. This is a residential. This is a schloss rather than a bourg. There's yeah. Kind of different things. Um, but that's just tucked away in Germany, you know, a little bit under the radar. But isn't that um, because Germany was so ducal and just had all these different areas? And so okay. everyone had to just show their power by having these amazing places. Okay. You're completely right. And, and Mecklenburg, the Duchy of Mecklenburg-Schwerin, in Mecklenburg was divided into four different duchies itself, um, held out against the Prussian Empire, which surrounded it completely, um, and, and was never officially Prussian, which kind of interested me because all of this area is Prussia. Hmm. Uh, if you, if you, if you well, know, I only learned about Prussia and recently, so yeah. never really actually thought about looking into it, what Prussia was until yeah. asking you. It's kind of the origins of the German nation, really. Hmm. Um, but for, for whatever reason, the, the duchy of, um, yeah, Mecklenburg-Schwerin never, never fell into line with Prussia and was set sort of autonomous. So there, again, so this, this area here has got a really proud and distinct national, regional identity. And it's, um, one I didn't know until sort of 24, 48 hours ago. The joy so, of being back on the road, Ned. The joy of being back on the road and stumbling over facts like this. I referred to Prince Pribislav, who was one of the founders of the House of Mecklenburg-Schwerin in the, in the 11th century, as being a Polabian Slav, right? So the Slavic tribe came from, broadly speaking, kind of Central Europe, what we now consider to be Poland. And, you know, after the collapse of the Roman Empire, started to populate huge sections of Central Europe, right? Um, what I didn't know is that um, there is still a Slavic language called the Sorbian language spoken by the Sorbs, S-O-R-B, which is um, a minority Slavic language, and there are two distinct branches of it, um, still spoken in Germany by a population of between 20 and 30,000 people, and it's recognised in Germany as an official language. Holy Anna. cow. There you go. I didn't know that. We've got Geordie. Sorbian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got Geordie. Um can I just, before we leave alone, uh, the Deutschland tour alone, David, and talk about the Vuelta, because it's been actually quite interesting over the last few days, the Vuelta, just wanted to um, let you know some of the other riders, apart from the headline acts, who are racing the, um, uh, the Deutschland tour. Team Rally has got your 
your two former teammates, Nate Brown. Oh, yeah. Very good. Yeah, he's running for a rally. Know, Nate Brown was still racing. Car 30. Well, he was a whippersnapper. When I well, raced with him. What happens. Yeah. Former under 23 American time trial champion from Colorado Springs, um, but moved to Austin in Texas. And um, he raced, do you remember, he raced the 2017 Tour de France. Um, with That's right. Garmin or whatever. The, I can't remember what they were called in the can can't remember what they're called. Um, and he held the King of the Mountains jersey for a couple of days, didn't he? Huh, yeah, he did. Oh, which I'd forgotten. Well, there you go. Huh. And another former teammate of yours from that team as well, Ben King. Ben King. He's a lovely young man. Two stages of the Vuelta. Yeah. He was flying that year. Wow. Absolutely flying. I don't think he's done too much since. Nothing since, really. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Which is, uh, interesting. And um, of note as well, team... Uno X from Norway. Unox. I don't know how to pronounce them. I'm going to have to work that out because I'm going to have to commentate on them fairly soon. But Uno <laughs> and that sort of orange, yellowy orange kit. Yellowy, reddy orange kit. Anyway, they've got three uh, Norwegian riders, all of whom are really fast. And I don't know and t- if today ends in a bunch of sprints. It's going to be one of them sprinting and I don't know yet which one it will be, which is sort of unsettling me and keeping me awake at night. Daniel Hulgard, um, Christopher Halverson, uh, who used to ride for Sky, and Rasmus Tiller, who's one of those um, riders who's had an absolutely brilliant year finishing in all these one-day classics, um, incredibly powerfully, and f- finishing fifth in the Trobro Leon, uh, third in the Tour du Finistère, second in La- Le Samine, and winning the Dvars d'Orhet Hageland. So he's one of those sort of like riders from one of the smaller teams uh, to look out for. And then two riders who I hold my hands up that I had no idea about until I did my research yesterday for a German Conti team, so third division team, called SKS Sauerland NRW. <laughs> That's going to be easy to shout in a bunch of sprints. Anyway, they've got two identical twins riding for them. Oh, that's Yates. awesome. Ala Yates brothers. Um, and I can't think of any other identical twins apart from the Yateses in the peloton. No, nope, can I can't. So here we go. Identical twins from Belgium, riding for SKS Sauerland NRW, Abram Stockman and Michiel Stockman, both 25 years of old, uh, uh, sorry, 25 years of age, from Waregem, and um, where the Nas- Belgian National Championships were this year, which they raced, by the way. And um, their sister, Julie, is also a professional bike racer. She rides for Multum Accounts Ladies Team in Belgium, and she also raced... Uh, the national championships. So three siblings this year all raced the Belgian national championships in their hometown of Varigam. That's very cool. That's very cool. Proud parents, especially yeah. in that part of the world. Hey, listen, let's take a little breather right here. And then um, uh, off, off the back of this advert, basically, or advertorial content, uh, we can talk a little bit about the Vuelta. We interrupt this episode of Never Stray's uh, Ross. Which one is it? Can confirm it's Farad. We interrupt this episode of Never Stray's Farad for an advertorial screenplay. And I'm joined by Ross Bernard, who works with me at Chapter 3, and also with Harry at The Roadbook. Go ahead, Ross. We find our protagonists recording remotely. One sat... Ross, you don't need to read the stage directions. All right, yeah. <clears throat> As a listener to Never Strays Far, you can get 20% off on chapter3.com or theroadbook.co.uk by using the code NSF at checkout. That's N-S-F. 
Not only that, but we have a grand prize arranged for the end of the tour of Britain. It's worth well over a thousand pounds and we'll be releasing full details on how to enter very soon. But for now, we can reveal the first part of that prize. David, I have good news. With Lacquer, you won't have to fling your bike off the side of a road in frustration next time you have an accident or a mechanical. Let's not get into bike flinging. Lacquer are here to make sure you're covered every time you go for a ride. Their collective cover is made especially for cyclists for life on and off your bike. Our grand prize winner will receive £200 worth of their unbeatable coverage. With no more fixed up front premiums, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your max monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. And when the proverbial does hit the fan, lack has got your back. Claims are handled by experts and usually agreed within a day, which is something I can personally attest to. They've ditched annual contracts locking you in. With Lacquer, if you want to leave, you can anytime. So head to Lacquer.co, that's L-A-K-A dot C-O for more from them and make sure to tune into Never Strays Far over the next few days to find out how to enter our grand prize draw. Thank you, Ross. Now, back to the show. So, Vuelta, David. Vuelta. Yeah, I'm just doing my uh, my catch up here. Um, Roglic is uh, back in. So, tell me about the crash. I don't know. Well, the crash came on stage ten, which is the first day after the Mm. after the um, what's it called, the rest day, and it was a stage where a big, big breakaway, thirty rider breakaway, eventually got clear. I think the first couple of hours of racing were like cross tailwind. Full on, 50 kilometers an hour average speed or thereabouts. And then eventually a huge, as, as happens on stages like that, deep into a grand tour, a huge, um, group got away, didn't it? Including two riders who are quite highly placed relatively in the general classification. Um, odd Christian Eiking of the Antamache Wanty Gobert team and our friend Guillaume Martin, ah. who literally repeated what he'd done at the Tour de France by getting in a big move late on in the in the race and ending up in second on GC, which oh, is man. where he is now. So super clever. And this and yet this, inevitable, um, yet inevitable. <laughs> and but it's become his kind of identity. That's what he does. It's yeah, the Martin move. Yeah. And they got uh, eventually the bunch sat up and let them go, and they got they got ten minutes. Now there were a succession of little climbs um, towards the finish, and Roglic. Having whittled down the uh, red jersey, uh, no, yes, the, yeah, he was still in the red jersey. Having whittled down the, the group a little bit, um, attacked on a climb, <laughs> and you thought that's uh, that's quite a long way out to attack, and that's quite yeah. a bold move. And he didn't really get the big gap that he that he needed, so he had it. He kind of got twenty seconds on them, and there it stayed. There it remained a little bit, but he pushed on. Fully committed, well over fifteen kilometers from home, Wowzers. and and he crashed, and he got back up, and he appears to be un, unscathed, but he just lost control on a descent, uh, and went down, a la Roglic, and ended up sort of ripping his uh, kit on his buttock as a la Roglic because that's what he does, um, and you thought, well, uh, that's very un like the way he'd been racing the Vuelta to this point. Yeah. Um, that he was prepared to take them on that far out and take that kind of risk on a really quite a speculative move. And it could have gone quite badly wrong for him. He's, uh, um, that's very un-race leader-like as well. I mean, it goes to show 
either he's just having fun or he's trying to prove something or he's just so strong that he was bored. I, I, I think it's all three of those in, yeah. in the mix and probably with the emphasis on the latter, right? He's just so strong. Yeah, I think so. Because I saw the quotes afterwards and he seemed very, um, sort of almost shrugged it off. Like it was, yeah. like it was just kind of, oh, well, well, quite good fun. I crashed. I'm okay. But yeah, and it was, which was pretty cool. So yeah, Very maybe cool. I think maybe we're seeing a new side of him. And as you say, just it is all three of those things. He does have something to prove, but I think also just goes to show his temperament. He's enjoying it. Well, yeah, hats yeah. off to him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hats off to him because he had, you know, he had come in for a bit of criticism for being a little bit conservative mm. and nerdling away and just attacking with 200 meters to go. And, this, I, that and the other. I think he must have listened to our previous podcast. I think he must have, like, undoubtedly didn't. But uh, anyway, it was, it was interesting to see him doing something different. The stage ten went to Michael Storer. Mm. again so what an impressive rider he is becoming and turning out to be and uh what a mark he's left on this race um with a another long range solo attack in fact the whole day reminded me of those stages on the tour de france oh god it felt like it felt like one of those tour de france days where a big move got away fell apart one rider attacked a long way out held everyone off and then you know at the back of the race the the gc leader makes a statement i hope that doesn't become a um a norm well, yesterday, the break didn't go on stage 11. Um, in fact, it finished on a 900-meter climb into, can't remember the name of the place, but it's really steep towards the end. Magnus Court, is that what it was? Valdepenis. Magnus Court very nearly did it again. Um, mm. He was, if you pardon the pun, he was caught with a couple of, literally 200 meters to go by, you've guessed it, Roglic. Uh, to use coin Daniel Freib's excellent phrase, roglification. Mm. That's what we saw again yesterday. Uh, Roglic attacked with Mass, and the Mass ended up, you know, on that climb. And Mass sort of looked at him, a la kind of like mind games, looking him in the eyes as if to say. And I thought, bloody, is Mass that strong? And Roglic kind of poker faced him, and then Roglic just rode away from him. <laughs> uh, so, so he's just uh, chipping his way back towards the red jersey, Roglic. Yeah, he's, he's bossing it. Yeah, Christian Eiking held on, actually, quite mm. well. Mm. Um, but what was amazing about it, if you watch the final uh, climb, as I say, Magnus Court was 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 um, actually passed with a couple of hundred metres to go. But then it took him, like, minutes, seemingly, to get to the finish line after that. It was so steep. I don't know where he finished. You, have you got it in front of you? Do you know where he finished on the stage? Yeah, he's at Magnus Court or... Yeah, Magnus Court. 11th, I think. Oh, no, no, sorry. I'm just looking at the wrong one. No, he finished uh, even further. I was just looking at it before. Sorry, hang on. That's all right. No, I just sprung that on you. Yeah. So. Uh, no, no, you're right. He's dropped, he dropped right down. Huh. It's amazing because he started, he was so gutted, I think, not to have won, having invested so much in, in, in the effort, that he started just, it there was such go. a 25th. Climb. He started, he started doing zigzaggy climbing just uh, for fun, just because uh, he couldn't be bothered so with that's it anymore, 49 so. seconds in the final 200 meters. Yeah. All yeah. these other riders coming flying past him like that, and he's just zigzagging across the road. Yeah, good on him. And today's, today's stage goes to Cordoba. Oh, I know Cordoba. I've won there. Times in the final 60k, yeah. Yeah, that's it. How do you know Cordoba? I won there in 2003. Yeah, that's a good reason to it know. Is. That. It's a really, it's a, that's one of the classics. You know, you have the classic stages in the world. So you have Cordoba, Cuenca, um, you have Montjuic when it goes there. Uh, What's where? the one beginning with T? There's one beginning with T. Uh, Toledo. 
Thank you. Um, yeah, and so the Quenca is one of the sort of legendary ones, so they'll all know that climb. But it's, um, yeah, it's, that's a really cool finish. I might have to try and watch that. So, yeah. Um, so, yes, that's good. And then I was just uh, looking as well, Tour of Norway. That's um, Walls has gone on one in the stage off the back of his Omnium Gold medal. We end. talked about that yeah. in the last spot. Well, I'm just talking about it again because I'm just looking through it again. <laughs> we did, you're right, but it's yeah. amazing. So it is amazing. Achievement. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just uh, rehashing, reminding myself. Yeah. Well, you're trying to lodge into your mind now. I need to do it seven times, isn't it? Yeah. I kind of just went over it <laughs> underwhelmed. I think, okay. We'll night. say it every day. We'll say every it day. tomorrow. Yeah. Matt Walls, by the final stage of the tour. Yeah. I know. You know what it was? Because I was so kind of focused on hater for some reason. I over just didn't think about walls and really soak it in. But there you go. Right. I have now. So, yeah. What else is going on? All right. Well, that'll uh, that'll probably do. I've got to actually commentate today, so I'm going to save my voice. And then, oh, do you know, oh, man. oh, I've got to commentate, David. Whenever the race finishes, it finishes. Then I've got other bits and pieces to do. And then I've got to drive. It's a proper Tour de France-style transfer. I was looking I've on the map. It drive. looks huge. Oh, it's, it's, I think it's close to five hours in the car and I'm on my own driving. Oh no. Yeah, it's going to be brutal. So today's it's a big autobahn. Can day. you just go at like 200 kilometers an hour? Well, that, that is true. You can, but I'm not very good at driving as you know, so I won't be doing that. Um, but I shall, uh, I'll let you know how it goes when we pod again tomorrow morning. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Ned. I'll speak to you later. All right. See you tomorrow. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 